Just like that, the final hour is here on this Thursday edition for Hot Mike with Hutney Withrow across the Outkick Network. Chad, first two hours, flown by. Flew by. This last hour, though, may crawl by because uh, Bryson, who's an intern with Outkick, it's his final day. Yeah. And uh, Haley Karania, also with Outkick, was kind enough to bring crumble cookies into the studio. I saw for those everyone over there. on the last day. I've already had one whole cookie, which we did the calorie count on, was over 800 calories. For this one big cookie, chocolate chip cookie I had. Okay. I have now, uh, I've stayed away from it for, a, I don't know, guys, what, a solid two and a half, three hours, uh, two hours into the show, and then uh, probably an hour in between when I had the first cookie. And I just went and had one bite of a peanut butter cookie, and it was delicious. And now I'm probably going to go have a bite of every cookie that's left. I'm not taking the bite. I'm using a fork to get it out. So if anybody wants the rest of the cookies, they can have it. But Hutton, I will consume more calories and cookies before the end of this hour. Or I will torture myself staying away from it every single commercial break. So that's, that's, my, that's my cross to bear this last hour of the show. You, uh, you did well for the first half of the show, not going over there. Well, Andy Staples understands good food, right? I mean, this is a guy who's made a living talking about college football, a sport we all love, but also talking a lot and writing a lot about food, which we all love. Oh, so it. if anyone could understand... My great cookie, crumble cookie dilemma of August 2023 in studio, it's probably Andy because I'm not going to be able to stay away. There's a lemon cookie over there with like a lemon yellow uh, cake mm. on the top of it that I'm going to have to try at some point. I'm not going to stay away. Calorie, Everyone's, everyone's worn now. I'm not staying away. Calorie intake is high in the studio, Andy. I like this sweet and sour desserts. I'm a big lemon bar guy, so this cookie intrigues me. Yeah, crumble cookies uh, always deliver, and we've got a full assortment right now. I had the chocolate chip. I just tasted the peanut butter. I'm going lemon next. I knew you'd be proud. I, I am, and, and I just got out of the gym, so I think I, I, I wouldn't even feel guilty taking down that many cookies right there at once. It wouldn't bother me one bit at this moment. Andy Staples with us on three college football analyst and uh, contributor. Uh, does a great job there and a uh, great start with everything you're doing with the podcast and more, Andy. It's been really cool. Um, we uh, we were discussing your tweet about the, hey, hear me out. I've got this new conference. We know that Notre Dame is is wanting Stanford and Cal in the ACC, and you've come up with a, an alternative based on the fact that the ACC doesn't want Stanford and Cal right now. Yeah, yeah, and, and I actually have a full column on it if, if you want to read all the way to the moral of the story. But, yeah, I said – Let's if, if Notre Dame is that worried and Jack Swarbrick, the AD said it's a, it's basically an indictment of college sports that, that Cal and Stanford don't have a, a big time conference. So if Notre Dame feels that bad about it, they could solve their problem. Notre Dame, Cal, Stanford, army, Navy, air force. There's your conference for Notre Dame. It just becomes, it replaces that ACC scheduling component that they have where they schedule five ACC games. And then they keep playing USC and they play whoever else they want to play. Because everybody will schedule Notre Dame. I, don't give me that crap about, oh, I, my team's not going to schedule them. Yeah, they will. Because your team likes a full stadium and your team likes good ratings and Notre Dame brings the both, both things. But if Notre Dame wanted to do that, and that would be not Notre Dame getting forced into a conference, it would be Notre Dame joining a conference or, well, creating a conference and then running it on its own terms and keeping most of the money too. But we all know that's not going to happen. So Andy, when I, I saw the tweet and sent it to these guys, and I immediately thought this is this is perfect. I love the idea. I love the idea of NBC being the partner also on it. 
And I kind of expanded on it, and I need to read your column now to go more in depth. And I've tried this idea out on multiple people that are in sports, and it's about a 50-50 response. 50% oh, it's 50%. Say that I love it. 50% you're the stupidest person who ever lived. Absolutely. Yep. That you're dumb. This would never happen, never could happen. And other people are like, man, that makes a lot of sense. Take your six yep. that you have in this conference. Mm-hmm. Let's get Harvard and Yale to use their resources to move up and work the NIL circuits, work mm-hmm. their endowment, work, work their Heck alumni, yeah. everything. Wall Street, baby. You've got yes. a coast-to-coast conference that's got national television intrigue. Both could rise quickly with all the money and those schools that they have. Hell, do the whole Ivy League. And, and you've got, well, I like my idea because the last part of it is you can call it the Elite Eight. I'm sure the trademark Ooh. is owned by the NCAA, but what a name for a conference. That would be I the Elite it. Eight with Harvard and Yale I joining those six. I love it. That is, that is Good. amazing. You're in the 50% that likes it. Good. Well, it's interesting. So somebody in football reached out to me and when I sent that tweet out and said, that would be a great idea. I love it. This is one of the 50% that likes it. This person played at an Ivy league school. And I said, okay, as a former Ivy league football player, tell me this, do you think that if they gave scholarships, because remember they used to have a, a, an antitrust exemption that kept them from or allowed them to not give athletic scholarships. If they were to give football scholarships, do you think they could quickly become competitive in, in division one. Cause I think they could, I, I think players are smarter now. And that the, now the, the guys who are getting offered by Georgia, Alabama, Ohio state, like they're still going there. Everybody else is jumping on a Harvard offer or a Yale offer or a, a Princeton offer. And so I'm kind of with you on that, but this person wrote back and said, Hey, they, they would kill it in I in NIL, but at a lot of those schools, football is third or fourth on the depth chart at, uh, in terms of priorities. So they'd have to to decide they wanted to prioritize it more. But if they did, I bet they could. Andy Staples on three sports, our guest. I like that you like it. Greg Sankey uh, doesn't love all the expansion, at least he says. And he's talking he about the SEC. Texas, Oklahoma. Well, that's true. That's true. Well, further expansion, we should say. Do you believe him? I mean, do you believe him that he feels like the SEC has no need to add anyone else, regardless of what other conferences do? Or is there something the Big Ten or ACC or Big 12 could do that would then prompt him to make a move? Well, while we were talking about Notre Dame, since we already brought them up, if Notre Dame called the SEC and said we'd like to join the SEC, Notre Dame would be in the SEC tomorrow. Like, they would take them in a heartbeat. So it's not true that there's nothing that would make them expand. But I I will say this. Given the 18-team configuration in the Big Ten now, is that a better football product than the 16-team SEC? I don't think so. Unless the Big Ten can threaten you as a football product, I don't think you need to do anything in the SEC. I think you're good where you're at. Is Florida State going to actually back up what they've been talking and and, um, tell the ACC by the deadline of Tuesday that in 2024 they're out? I would be very surprised if it was by this Tuesday. I would not be very surprised if it was by a year from this Tuesday. That's and, and if you listen to their trustees meeting last week when when they all talked about it, I think they made that clear that it's probably a little premature to think they can do it now. But that one one of them actually said we need to make a plan so that a year from now we're ready to do this. Andy Staples with us. Do they have a partner as a part of that plan right now? Is it a two team deal or are they solo? 
Well, we know that Clemson also wants out. We know North Carolina and Miami want out of the deal. I don't And Miami is fine getting out of the conference. North Carolina feels a little, it's hard to, to figure where they're at. They would definitely like out of the deal because they would be coveted by the big 10 and the sec. But I don't know, you know, that they're a founding of the conference that I don't know that they want to be responsible for breaking it up, but I know that the other schools do not like the way Florida State has gone about talking about this. And so while they may be together theoretically or, or together in turn in spirit right now, I don't think they're working together on a plan because they they're taking different tacks. So, but yeah, if, if, if it needs a pair and Florida state's one of the pair, they'll find some willing partners. Is Florida state special the way they're acting like and talking about this compared to other ACC programs? And if not, is there one program in the ACC, Andy, that you would say their brand, their population of their state, their history, whatever it may be, makes them a little bit more special than the rest of the conference. There's two It's Florida state and Clemson. It's easy. All you have to do is imagine the helmet schedule, the thing your mom and dad put on the fridge every year with, uh, with all the, the games in the conference. If you add the tiger paw on the spear, you want to watch all of those games. If you add them to the SEC or you add them to the Big Ten, you want to watch all of those games. If you add that interlocking NC, eh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. If you add the U, you probably want to watch most of those games. Anybody else? Eh. You can take it or leave it. Who is the intriguing team across college football this upcoming season that you think can make a move towards being the, the quote-unquote it team as we're sitting here a year from now? Well, Penn State's really interesting to me because this is the most elite talent they've had in a long time to go along with some pretty good recruiting classes where they, they've you know bulked up depth-wise. And so... They have you know, Olufashnu, who would have maybe been the top offensive lineman off the board in this year's draft had he not decided to stay. Uh, they have Abdul Carter, who compares pretty favorably to Micah Parsons as a pass rusher. And that's the sort of guys that they haven't really had a lot of Saquon Barkley, but, but that was about it. They've got a bunch of those guys now, and they also have Michigan coming to State College for whatever reason – Penn State can't play in Ann Arbor. I don't know why it is, but they struggle there. They play Ohio State close wherever they play Ohio State. But they struggle in Ann Arbor, so they get Michigan in State College this year. They do have to go to Columbus, but again, they play Ohio State close wherever they play them. So that's one I'd think about because we keep looking at, okay, Michigan or Ohio State. Does Ohio State strike back and, and retake the Big Ten from Michigan? What if Penn State takes it from under both of them? What did you think when you saw Northwestern assistant coaches wearing the Wildcats against the world, Pat Fitzgerald number 51 shirts to practice? Did you care? Did you not? What was the reaction? I, I don't care. I mean, you're allowed to feel however you want to feel about it. And I, I think the the response from David Braun, the interim coach, who unfortunately has been tasked with dealing with all the crap from this and probably, probably not when he thought when he, when he got there from North Dakota state six months ago, but I don't care. I mean, they feel like Pat Fitzgerald was wrong. They're they're free to say it. Now, here's my thing about that. You're a one and eleven team that, according to everybody who's told on you, you like to do a bunch of weird naked stuff. I'm not sure that's a culture I'd brag about. Well, it, no, you're you're right about that, and it's uh, 
what happens with Pat Fitzgerald next? I think it's going to be interesting to follow. If he goes NFL, if he's not coaching, he's gonna get while. some money from Northwestern. I think that would be my step guess. Because, number one, right? Yeah, because because and not for not saying that the accusations are false. Or no one has even said the accusation. Not even Pat Fitzgerald says the accusation are false. What he's saying is your decision changed basically overnight with no change in the facts. So how about some cash? So I think he's gonna get some. Um, I, I like your, your illustration of the helmet schedules, right? Uh, of, of your yeah. mom's fridge and looking at it. And I like it because it shows where we are right now, where everything's about TV and TV mm-hmm. eyeballs and TV ratings and TV money. And that's how decisions are being made. So if we go under that premise, are we close to reaching a point where conferences start to cut teams at the bottom that aren't bringing in television eyeballs that aren't doing anything on the football field? You're looking at it, I think, in the reverse. I think it's the other way around. I think the ones that are worth the most leave first before conferences cut teams, because that's that's just holding up a large flag that says sue me. But if the ones that are the most valuable just leave and then somehow coalesce into their own big thing, well, that's their choice. And that's somebody asked me that in my in my mailbag show this week. And it, w- it was interesting because I hadn't thought of it that way. Because I always get that question of when, when are they cutting Vanderbilt from the SEC? And when are they cutting Indiana from the Big Ten? I don't think they're going to cut them. I think it's the Alabamas and Ohio States are going to go, quote, unquote, independent. And then three weeks later, they're all going to be together. Andy, final thing for you. Uh, college football playoff-wise, when it expands, the autonomous five is now a four. Mm-hmm. How are they going to go about restructuring whatever the guidelines were for automatic bids versus at-large bids, especially considering the SEC and the Big Ten want more, not right. less, uh, of the, autom- of the uh, automatic bids based on, or at-large bids compared to the automatic bids that are currently at sitting at six? Well, do remember the SEC commissioner helped design right. this particular plan, and you know, he, part of it, he's he said has said was to keep college football a national proposition because Greg Sankey understands if it becomes all SEC and big 10, you lose some of the country in that, in that. And so they want everybody in the country to feel like they have an opportunity to make the playoff. But I think what you do probably is you go the first two years with like this, because that's the, the end of that contract. Yep. And then you can restructure it any way you want because who knows, there might be more stuff that happens between now and then. And let, but, but let's let's just say that Pac-12, because I think the most logical thing that would happen is the Pac-12 and the Mountain West basically merge. And so you have nine FBS conferences, four quote-unquote power conferences. You just drop that six highest-ranked conference champs down to five. You're still throwing the same bone you're throwing to the group of five leagues, and then you you figure it out from there. I, I And I think that would be a fine. Now, if, if you want to get some goodwill, you leave it the way it is for the first two years because that way two of those champions get in the playoff. And you say, look, we're inclusive, and then just take it away. We always love the perspective, man. Thank you for the time. We, we love the idea of the Notre Dame-led conference that you threw out. And uh, yeah, anytime, They'll never do it. Anytime uh, we can uh, uh, certainly have Challenge. you on, we want to do that. So thank you. Hey, and uh, congrats with the Andy Staples show on on three again. It's uh, it's been really good with the launch. 
Appreciate it. 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central tonight. We have the most interesting coach in college football. I'm interviewing him while he is smoking a cigar and wearing the best sleeves cut off, oh, yeah. neck cut out t-shirt Charlotte's you've ever seen. Charlotte's new guy. Oh, okay. Charlotte's All new right. guy. Oh, yeah. Biff right. Pogey, hedge fund manager turned football coach. Love Can't it. Wait. Andy, thank you, man. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Andy Staples on three. I'm 30 Old seconds Biff. away from trying another cookie. Can't wait. You going lemon? Countdown's on. Oh, I'm going lemon, all right. It's going to be very tart this next segment. I can guarantee you that. Coming up, an ACC coach. He's tired of the tampering with his roster. Is he naming names? Not really. We'll discuss why. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. What's in the chat today, Chad? Chat is, um, it's been taken over by a man by the name of Royce, uh, who is just like, he has sent about 15 straight uh, messages. Which flag is he waving? Royce gets very, very active. Like, he, he's, a, he's a type, he... Won't be around for a couple days. Okay. And then he jumps in on the show, and I mean, it is 15 <laughs> straight messages from Royce. I, I don't hate Cheers it. Cheers to you, Royce. It's not bad. He's got some good ideas. He's going through different conference ideas based on our conversation cool. with Andy Staples. Also, based on our conversation with Staples about cookies, I just tried the lemon cookie. Not a big lemon guy, but that is delicious. <laughs> that lemon cookie. A lemon drop? I, I mean, I, Crumble doesn't even pay us. I'm just, I really like the product. Is what I'm telling you. They get it done. I've yet to have something there I do not enjoy. They have a peanut butter and jelly cookie that I've had one time, and it's I don't even like PB and J. My favorite is the and Reese's, I love the cookie Reese's or like this uh, chocolate fudge one that they make sometimes. I'm not a big fudge guy, oh, but like I guarantee you I'd like it. I'm not a big lemon guy, and I love the lemon cookie. You'll love it. You'll, well, you're right. You can't really screw up a crumble cookie. Brooke said not to sleep on the sugar cookie, so I'm going to that next. <laughs> I've uh, rationalized all this by just having one bite of every cookie in the box, and that's how I'm going to tell myself I'm not eating that much sugar. You're using a fork, but like when someone comes in that hasn't already heard They're going to think I took a bite out of it. Someone took a bite out of each one of these cookies. I assume everyone that works at OutKick listens to every second of our show, so I'm just stating this for everyone that could (laughs) come across the cookies to know that I'm not biting the cookie directly. I'm, I'm with a fork taking a piece of the cookie, and then having that piece of the cookie. So Very polite. Yeah, you're, you're good. You can have the rest of the cookies. Chad, uh, Dave Clawson, head coach at Wake Forest, is saying there were six-figure offers for some of his players to transfer out of the Wake Forest football program. Now, we know that Sam Hartman did. He's now the quarterback at Notre Dame. But he's saying, Clawson's saying, that there are players that remained within the program that were offered six-figure numbers to bounce uh, as far as tampering is concerned. I, I do think that there, there does need to be some sort of enforcement of the tampering rule uh, because it's, it's going on. And, and even if you want to look at, oh, the player's getting paid, and the, look at the NFL model. You're, you cannot, as another organization – loop in another agent, start negotiations, offer something for a player that's at a, at a current club, at an organization. In this case, it would be uh, with a current university. And I would open it up to a very specific w- time window. 
for the portal. You can enter the portal, and that's whenever you jump in with whatever offer you have. This is going on, and Chad, he's not naming names on where the offers are from. Uh, I don't think it's it would be difficult to figure out uh, the top collectives across college sports right now and loop them in and, and, and think that that would include some of the, the answers. But everyone's tampering in some way. And that's why, as a coach in the Power Five, you're not naming names because you're also going to the well in the same way. You may not be offering the same type of money, but you're offering something in, in, in relation to whatever the, the player currently is doing, whether that's position, depth chart, whatever. Playing time can certainly be lucrative for some for a chance to bounce from wherever they are to replace the guys you may or may not lose on your roster. See, I think coaches that are talking about this, it's aspirational. I think they're putting it out there because deep down they want their donors to up the ante to this level where they can do the same. And if they're going to lose a player for six figures, they want to be able to match that so they can stay at Wake Forest or wherever. Uh, Pittsburgh. You know, what other programs have we seen coaches talk about this and complain about it? So I think it's more – I think it's less of I'm not going to name names because I'm doing the exact same. Dave Clawson's not doing the exact same. They're not offering people six figures at Wake Forest football is my guess. They're going to lower levels and maybe giving them a tiny bit of money to come to Wake Forest, but nothing big. So if you're him, this is like Mark Stoops complaining about his NIL and their collective at Kentucky. I, I think it's more, I'm going to get crushed in recruiting. It's not fair. I'm not going to be able to keep anyone because I can't offer the same. He said this about Sam Hartman when he left. He said, I mean, the kid probably made the right decision. We love him. We wish him well. But based on what he's going to make at Notre Dame and the opportunity he has, I can't with a straight face yeah. tell him not to take it and not go. So I think he was very honest about that. Here's the second part of this. If you are not going to say who did it, then don't say it. I, I want this to be a blanket rule. Name names. The way Trent Dilfer has talked about, he will name names. Or shut up. If you're going to just throw out there, multiple schools offered six figures. Tell me the schools. Because it means nothing. Enough people have said it now. Unless you're going to say who did it and have the courage to do that, then stop talking about it. Because it comes across as whining. If you have a problem with it, you shouldn't have an issue saying who did it. And then they can answer for themselves. And I'm sure that they're going to have ways to backtrack and say, oh, that was a third party and that was this and that. Whatever. I'd like to know who's doing it. If it's such common knowledge then people probably aren't going to be surprised. So go ahead and say who's doing it. Well, also, like just from the, the monetary stance, though, if he does indeed have eight different players, up to eight players that were offered between 150 and 500 grand, which is what he said, then why did those players stay? It's got to be because of whatever offer was available to well, him. Well, I mean, I, I think what Dave Clawson is saying, they would rather get an education from Wake Forest than take all that money. They didn't take any money here. Again, I, I, don't, I don't think money is the only thing for everyone. I'm sure there are plenty of college football players who have turned down more money to stay somewhere for less money. Um, are they making no money at Wake Forest? Probably not in NIL. But, I mean, that's, that's where this kind of annoys me. Because then you're basically saying, man, we, look, these guys love the Demon Deacon so much that yeah. they stayed here and they turned down six figures to make nothing to come back to Wake Forest for another year. I just – if you're going to complain about it, we got to get past the point of just throwing it out there. Mac Brown did this with North Carolina. Drake May got offered millions 
from yeah, one Pat, SEC Pat program. Said five million. And who did everybody immediately jump to? He said two programs. What are two programs replacing great quarterbacks? Well, it wasn't A&M. It was Georgia-Alabama was who I thought. Well, it was prior to last year, though, is when all this went down. Well, it was was after this last season when he had the breakout season. So it was right after the season ended. Yeah, and so you've got Bama. Uh, A&M is also one that we mentioned. My my point is, I don't know that Bama or Georgia did it. I I have no clue. But if you're going to say that publicly – then say who did it. I don't think that's too much to ask. Instead of just constantly throwing these rocks at windows, go ahead and take a brick and smash through it and tell us who's doing this. If you're so confident about it and you know they've been offered this, then say the programs that are tampering with your players and that have offered this much money. If not, then stop talking about it. Because it, to me, it shows a lack of courage. Chad, are, uh, does the U.S. women's national team deserve better? That's a, a question asked by Awful Announcing in, in a column. Uh, does Fox love or hate the U.S. women's national team? Uh, I, you could say that about the common sports fan, not just one network. Uh, I know where we stand on this. We don't want the United States to lose. They did. They're out of the, you know, they bowed out, and that's on them. They don't deserve better in terms of what happened in this World Cup, as it continues, and the United States isn't a part of it, uh, but there are plenty of people that completely disagree with many of the players' political stances, and that carries over beyond just the pitch. I really had a problem with the premise of this whole argument, and this was written at Awful Announcing uh, by Devin Rab, and I've not read Devin's work on anything else. Here's my issue with it. Fox News is part of the mainstream media, okay? Mainstream media, the majority of it, really does sort think one way. And, and we know that. We see it. A lot of people who get into journalism have a certain leaning when it comes to politics. And it's typically not right, okay? Whether you like that, hate it, whatever. Um, but Fox News is very popular. But because Devin feels like Fox News doesn't say exactly what I watched the Today Show in the morning at times, right? The Today Show, it was a ticker tape parade every day for the U.S. Women's National Team. I mean, they could have gone, uh, you know, on a visit to uh, a cafe in New Zealand. And it was just a – it was a first 7 a.m. alert about, look at this beautiful U.S. Women's National Team and all the good they've done and what – that's one extreme of it, right? Like how that is covered. But here's a writer saying because Fox News covers their protest – and what they're doing as something other than heroic and other than whatever hyperbole you want to throw out about the greatness of the efforts of the U.S. Women's National Team and everything else, because their opinion differs from that of me in the media and pretty much everyone else that we see a lot, then the U.S. Women's National Team and everyone in soccer should question a relationship with Fox Sports because of what Fox News says about the U.S. Women's National Team. I just think this is intellectually dishonest, quite frankly. Because what Fox Sports does and says, you can, you can only rate the Fox Sports coverage on the Fox Sports coverage of this U.S. women's national team. Now, if you want to say that you think Carly Lloyd and Alexi Lawless are blinded by conservative right-wing politics, and that's the only reason they would dare to criticize a team who was predicted to win the whole damn thing that got put out in the round of 16 and tied a Portugal team they should have beaten badly, that's the only reason they criticized them is because of their politics, then write that. 
If that's one, if that's your argument, write that because that's the Fox Sports production of all of this. Well, I don't think that it's the the job of a TV crew or a network covering a global event to be the best cheerleader of the U.S. team. I think it's their job to talk about the soccer taking place on on the pitch and what they're well, saying. Well, there's definitely a and difference. And from what in I saw, they the did coverage. a good job of that. But definitely different the coverage between Fox Sports and Fox News. Of course. Uh, and you've got Trump that's tweeting woke equals failure. Nice shot, Megan. Uh, that is certainly shown. Uh, this is also a, a team and a player that has had massive success uh, with the current political views that she had prior to this World Cup. So, uh, I mean, it doesn't equal failure because they've won the previous World Cups that she's been a part of. And they've been a massive success, uh, extremely successful at, at what they do. And I want the best soccer players in the world uh, that live here in the U.S. representing the United States to go out and kick everyone's ass. And yeah, that's, for the most I, part, I, what they've done until this year. I, I, I was mad when they lost because, yeah, I want us to dominate in everything on the global stage. I, I just think to, th- to take what, you know, Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity and Jesse Waters said about it as this is a reason to question Fox's alliance with soccer and covering soccer because of what their news network yeah. said about it is someone who's just really hurt by the Fox News coverage for whatever reason. Well, and is lashing out at it because, uh, look. Well, they're, 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 they're trending in their lane, though. The column is of exactly what Awful Announcing is about. No, and, and uh, Jesse Waters is you know, trending in, in his lane when right. he says you can, they taunted the women for their, quote, wokeness and called um, uh, Will Kane called them arrogant celebrity activists. Jesse Waters referred to Rapino as abrasive and self-centered. I hate to break it to this author, though. A lot of people feel that way about Rapino. No and doubt. Arrogant, and abrasive, and self-centered. I think Megan Rapino would probably take that as a compliment from Jesse Waters if she saw that. Yeah, I, I am self-centered and abrasive, and that's what got us what we wanted in the end, which was equal pay, right? That's probably her argument about all of this. Um, I mean, we've, we've gone through this a lot. I root for the Americans against international competition no matter what. I don't agree with Megan Rapino on much of what she says. I don't find her overly likable, but I also don't find the rest of the team that not likable. In fact, I find quite a few of the players very likable. And I thought their response to losing was a likable response if you're an American sports fan because they were heartbroken and devastated. And they know that they disappointed on the global stage. So that's my stance on it. I, I just found this whole column from Awful Announcing to be dishonest. Well, in, but, in its approach, but the take on however you feel about Rapino and then this column both get the same reaction. It gets it's talked about. There's a buzz. There's a conversation, an argument, clicks, and you you know we consider to say we're, we're rooting for the United States, but we don't agree with Rapino. That doesn't get clicks. Well, That's also not a part of the it, reaction, and this they're is not something... covering those that reacted the proper way and losing on the world stage. Well, one you know, and, and this is. This is the one interesting takeaway from it that is a fact. The writer goes on to say the negative coverage of Major League Baseball's decision to take the All-Star game away from Atlanta because of the Georgia voting rights bill. Right. Um, that did not dissuade Major League Baseball from partnering with Fox Sports on anything. There were no issues there. The Fox News coverage of Colin Kaepernick kneeling, 
that was no issue for the NFL with Fox and their relationship. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, it's because Fox pays them a ton of money and they're a good partner. They're good at covering those professional sports. Yeah. And by the way, guess who's the one network talking about? No, we're going to put all these live sports on TV. Linear. Because linear TV still matters. It's Fox. That's why these leagues like Fox. They don't care deep down about what Fox News is saying about their sports. But the rest of us do. The rest of the world cares. Coming up, the steroid era and one player speaking out. Glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Join Chad in the chat on YouTube. Thanks for supporting this great radio partner there as well. Chad, uh, Mark McGuire is uh, speaking out on the disdain for players that played and used steroids during the steroid era. And I, I've long maintained, my, you know, growing up when I did, I remember and, and have fond memories of the long ball and the pitchers of that era and those that were very dominant during that era. Uh, had a McGuire poster at a Sosa and Griffey poster as well. And Mark McGuire recently went on this tirade, uh, joining foul territory, and goes into his thoughts on the steroid-era players being unfairly punished. Do you feel like you're being unfairly punished? Or you maybe your group, maybe I should say the group of you, not maybe singling you out as just yourself, but kind of that whole group of again the same kind of the same people are being unfairly punished of because of a bias or whatever you want to call it. Well, it seems it, it seems like it. That's what it is. You know, it, um, I think I heard Barry say it the other day. There there was no rules and there was no regulation. Um, believe me, trust me. If there was any rules in place and and that stuff would have never happened. Um, there was no testing. There was no nothing. Um, so it's like, um, you know, and, and, and I, and I agree with Barry was saying, it's like, there's like, listen, it's, it, that was the culture. That was that, 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 that's what was going on back in those days and, uh, and whatever. Um, but I can personally tell you from, from me, knowing me, listen, I didn't need to do it. And, and I apologize for it. And, um, but there was a lot of hard work that went behind all the that uh, people want to give me to, to do what I did. And I mean, it, he didn't need to do it, but the players that did, including him, saved baseball at the time, you know, the coming out of the strike and uh, the, the apathy for the sport. And then you have the home run chase that rebuilt everything and defined an era. And it's an era that includes players that are not going to get in the Hall of Fame that, Chad, I honestly don't have a problem with getting in. Really don't. Because of the fact that baseball used them until they couldn't. And the reporters that are refusing to vote at all uh, cast a ballot without voting on someone for three years on any individual. There's one writer who, who has done that. I don't understand uh, the, the ability to just sit back and say, you know what? Uh, the way we view this era, even today, this this group of players that 
they covered on a daily basis are not worthy to be in Cooperstown based on what others that are in Cooperstown have done in the past and what they meant to the sport. McGuire's no different in that. Sosa's no different in that. And if you want to asterisk, put one by it. But as for my fan, uh, my fandom, I view these guys as, you know, the best of an era that I would love to have back. I want it wide open. Yeah, I think there's everybody <laughs> wants to make this, you know, black and white, and there's some gray to it, in my opinion. And I also think there's nuance involved here because Brady Anderson, for example, that just crazy year he had with the Orioles. 50-plus homers. That he never really yeah. did. A, okay. That was a byproduct of having the right cycle on roids for one summer and really having that big lift. Hey, let me try there. this out. Yeah, oh man. It's like it's like the time in church league softball when I tried out an illegal bat in a tournament and I just crushed one into the back of a pickup truck in the in the outfield, uh, past the outfield fence because I was using a legal bat and I didn't know I had that much power until I did it. That's Brady Anderson for an entire summer when he decided to roid for the first time. But Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds are Hall of Famers. I mean, it's different when you look at their careers and what they were able to accomplish and what McGuire was accomplishing pre-roids with the A's and then Barry Bonds and all-time. I just think too many baseball writers want to say, no, you you bet on baseball and you can never do it. You took steroids or you did this. And also, when Mark McGuire says, oh, there was no rules about it, well, it was illegal <laughs> by law. Sure. So there were rules. No, they didn't test for it, but <laughs> there were things written about it, and it was illegal. But, the, but, but players way, were doing similar things that were illegal, and it's not roids, would be his argument. And they weren't, you know, he's not tested for this, and he was doing something illegal that other players would have done something else against the law, and they weren't, you know, being tested for that either. Well, again, I mean, I don't think the amphetamines that players took in the 30s, 40s, and 50s was completely legal without a prescription. But guys were popping greenies left and right during that era. So do we look back and say that's performance enhancing if you're on speed for an entire summer uh, to play baseball games? Should we look at that? And then if it's everyone was doing it, I mean, I've I've seen estimates of probably 75 to 85% of Major League Baseball was using something during that era. Well, if that's just, the case, do you still go ahead and reward those that were the best of everyone using steroids or performance-enhancing drugs? But See, I view it through, and I know the, those that are voting on the hall and punishing the players from the era don't view it through this lens. But how can you not look, if you're just a sports fan, about how we, we react to a PED positive test in the NFL and it's six games? And then you look at Major League Baseball where it's like lifetime punishment. Lifetime. You're not getting into the hall, even though you meet the criteria well, no, and exceed it. Take it a step further. No punishment when they play. Well, They were doing it under the understanding there was going to be no punishment for this, whereas it's a six-game punishment in the NFL. Well, there's a testing And guys would still do it, it yeah. and get popped for six games. And this was pre-testing. But then I'm, I'm, when they're doing it then, they didn't know that, oh, I'm, I'm going to be locked out of the hall forever. Right. But the, 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 what, we still have the punishment now in Major League Baseball. What is it? The first pop is 50 games, I think, for a suspension. It's just a holier-than-thou uh, view from the baseball end of it. And it, look, more power to you if you're all about the numbers and the stats and the, you know, th- this is about the, his, you know, America's pastime. We're keeping it exactly the same. 
I mean, it's not. Major League Baseball owns the company that makes the baseballs now. Yeah. You know, they and, went through a season where they used two different versions of one without telling anyone. So if you want, again, there are ways to enhance home runs now that are made in a factory instead of in a syringe. And nobody's more self-righteous than these pro baseball writers, the That's baseball writers me. of America. Yeah. That's what bugs me about it. Um, I don't think it's as rampant now. Um, and I look, I, I like where the game is currently. I do. But when I think about what was the favorite year? Well, it was, I mean, 99. I'm going to 98. You know, the, the late 90s, sitting around watching the Sunday night baseball or the Wednesday night doubleheader, I go back to that moment in a heartbeat. Those home run derbies, uh, the playoff chase, the home run record, and then the pitching, the, the quality of pitching also with the different personalities, Chad. That, yeah, that's the era that I think about. It's not because I thought guys were, you know, uh, putting the syringe uh, in their backside in the well, clubhouse they're just, after the they're game. They're some of the best players to ever play. I mean, regardless no of what you want to say about what they did. and I mean, look at their numbers, and I know, okay, even take whatever inflation you want to put up for them uh, artificially inflating themselves with roids. Fine. Take that away. They're still Hall of Famers. So that, that's my problem with it is that they need to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm, I'm with Mark McGuire. And players who didn't. And Barry Bonds on this. That are on the borderline, they also deserve in because, not, because they didn't do it. But, you know, it's, it's just bizarre how the, they pick and choose different criteria for what they want to, to make the Hall. Well, and I remember the Lance Armstrong documentaries and everything that came out about the, the cycling world and doping and how rampant yeah. it is there. And the main takeaway from everyone that would comment on Cameron that was the drugs will always be ahead of the testing, no matter what. No matter what you think is happening, someone has the edge, and they're using something to gain an advantage. And some of the things they do in the cycling world, I, I feel like you can't even do. It's not humanly possible unless you're on something yeah. to do it. That's, that's another big takeaway from those documentaries. Chad, something we haven't seen in baseball, at least from – the Red Sox broadcaster who says he's never seen it in 40 years, uh, a baseball stuck in a light on the green monster where it's, it's they're going through the, it, I mean, if not for the wherewithal to point out where it was, it would have been an inside the park homer because the outfielder had no idea where it went for a split second and then had to turn around and realize, oh yeah, it's in, it's in this light at the bottom of the, you know, the, the balls and strikes light at the bottom of the green monster. Drilled it. And it got stuck in. There, there's, this is another reason that I love baseball, or just things like this, where every park Random. is so unique and yeah. so different. And there's park rules in the outfield. I was watching a Red Sox game the other night. Red Sox, Blue Jays, randomly I'm watching. And watching the Red Sox left fielder and how expert that guy was at playing caroms off the monster. And knowing mm. how to play it perfectly and knowing only the Red Sox outfield knows how to play balls off the wall the way they do. Just like every player who plays every day in every park in America, they're the only ones who know how to play that park and know how the ball is going to come off the wall in that park. I love those little idiosyncrasies about the sport. We saw another one with this one with the monster with the ball getting stuck in the light. Also enjoy a, a fan going to a ballpark and trying to collect on a bet that he made a couple of years prior. Uh, this happened with Manny Machado. And, uh, I mean, the contract bet is what's at stake. Here's the fan that filmed it. Yo, Manny! Manny 
you do remember me? You made a bet for your contract four years ago. Where's my 300 million? Manny, where's my 300 million? You pay your contract, it's time to pay up. What's up, Manny, you remember me? Where's my 300 million? Or should we count the extension also? Manny Machado looking back at That's right, we won 2020, where's my money? Where's my money, Manny? Where's my money? Your money's in his bank account. So great. Uh, multiple parts of this. I love that Manny Machado turned around to yeah. a guy heckling him and said, him. I will bet you my contract <laughs> that we win a World Series before the Dodgers win a World Series. I love what it takes to do that. And then I love that this guy did it and then came back looking to collect from Manny Machado. I'm back. And he's Four years later, entire, I'm here. Manny! He's pointing to 2020, which is awesome. I, I came for my $300 million. <laughs> I love it. He has a blank check he needs him to sign. Another reason Those to love massive baseball checks. is the heckling angle where you can get that close. And, I mean, guys hear that. You saw Machado looking back. When there's one person yelling above everyone else at someone, yes. they hear everything. I, I would – I mean, you know they're sitting there listening to it, wondering if they should turn around. And never do, especially the outfielders. Because that's an every-inning thing with the same guys in the outfield as fans. The some of them have is, a good time going back and forth. Some do. There are players that know how to do it and not get distracted and will like say things randomly back to whoever's talking or to them. You've got the player who totally ignores the, the heckler with you know a foul ball or he's got a, you know, a grounder that was out of play or something. Instead of tossing it to him, he'll fake it and then throw it to someone else or you just play the long con and you say nothing you're silent and if your team wins at the end of the night you just kind of wave back you know if you're in right field at whoever or say something on your way out of the park after you won the game chad how do you feel after what 1500 calories is it more than that now with the the cookies and the sugar sluggish are, are you sluggish or hyped up sluggish a <laughs> little little sugar crash coming right now Probably a little hyped up earlier <laughs> little uh, sweat on the brow. That's how I feel. Sluggish. Feel like uh, I'm going to like wake up in the middle of the night and feel like, uh, you Have know, the sweats. what what happened type <laughs> thing. You know those nights where you wake up like, did I it's, what did I put in my body that's making me what, feel this way? What day is it? Oh, it's all the sugar from the crumble cookies. That's what is happened. Is football season here? No. Yeah, I chug a gallon of water when I wake up just to try to get back to neutral. That's the way I'm going to feel just later. Just to even out. Just from the cookies. The sugar will do. Just from the cookies. We are back at it They're tomorrow. delicious, though. I don't, I don't regret it. Andrew Brandt will join us on the show and much more. Hope you will. We start at 3 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Central, each and every weekday afternoon. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Join us for the Friday edition coming up.